0: Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. The Parting Shots Podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Downloaded today, available for iOS and Android users in your app store. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Thanks for joining me. We have a jam-packed show for the final podcast of August. I'll speak with Hunter Moffat, founder and CEO of Trophy Case. Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McGadden makes his weekly appearance to talk Saratoga horse racing and last Saturday's Traverse Stakes. And ESPN Steve Levy will be on to talk about the 40th anniversary of the cable network, which is coming up September 7th. But first, the Albany football team begins its season Thursday night when it goes on the road to face Central Michigan, the Great Danes won just three games last season and only one in the Colonial Athletic Association. Earlier this week, I sat down with head coach Greg Cattuso, who's beginning his sixth season with the Danes, to talk about the team. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on uh, as we get ready for the, your uh, upcoming season.
1: Oh, thank you. It's great to be on.
0: Well, the team's getting ready for the opener Thursday night at uh, Central Michigan. Now, How excited is everyone for the season to kick off?
1: Every, we're very excited. I think the kids, you know, football is a hard sport because you don't get practice games. So, I think our guys are just chomping at the bit to get out there and compete against uh, another opponent. And Central Michigan is a great opener for us, so we're excited about it. And the team's coming off a three and eight, eight overall record
0: last year, one and seven in the uh, Colonial Athletic Association, and the CC, CAA coaches' poll, the uh, preseason poll, Great Danes were picked to finish last. Uh, what will the team have to do to prove the uh, preseason poll wrong?
1: Well, I think the big thing from last year is, is to, to win these close games. You know, we've been in, um, we lost three games in the last 50 seconds, 45 seconds of the game and could have certainly changed our record around dramatically. Um, we've got to win the tight games and that's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's obvious what we have to do and I think the good thing is we've been extremely competitive the last few years and now it's a matter of step, taking a step up and winning these close football games.
0: Is it a matter of confidence in winning those close football games?
1: I, I think there's probably a little bit of that. I think there's a little bit. I think talent-wise, we've continued to get better each year. You know, it, it's not an easy to to make the jump that we made, and to do it over a course of a year or two is very difficult. I think it's been a challenge to continue to recruit the top student athletes to play in this league. But I do feel really good about our team and our depth and our. You know, it's a, certainly the most talented, deep team we've had. I thought that last year. Um, we we did have a little rash of injuries, but like I told the players. That's all part of football, you know. You, that we didn't lose close games because of injuries. We lost them because we weren't able to finish finish games and I think that that's been our our focus and our keys to being a good team this year.
0: I mean, was there a lot of soul searching after last year to figure out what went wrong?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, any any time you have a rough year like that, I think you you sit down and analyze a lot of things. We we analyze how we practice, how we can reduce injuries, how we can rehab and and treat our players better. Um, we've worked on nutrition and sleep, not to mention our strength and conditioning. I think the kids have done a really good job with Coach Barber. Um, you know, we, We're much healthier this year coming out of camp than we were last year. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to go out and play the games. And I think um, you know, we, we feel good about who we are and we feel good about the message we have. And I think the kids are on board with who, we, who we're going to be. And one of the things
0: I think you've implemented this year, and reading uh, Michael Kelly's story about it, was the change in the practice schedule to allow more uh, rest. Uh, you gave the players off every fifth day. Uh, this is a way, for, like I said, for the players to rest their bodies. How significant was this change in preparing for the season?
1: Yeah, I think I, I feel good about it. I think there were some little hidden things in there that, you know, we'll adjust and tweak next year, but for – for football that's a big change to do it that way. We just you know, we we've basically what we've done is we've gone kind of a game day work week mentality when we do things. Um, and I think it's worked out well for the kids. It's a different time, you know, football's not like it was, you know, the biggest if you watch the Florida Miami game the other night it was nothing but missed tackles and miss mistakes and penalties and you know, because of the, the way things have been limited in practice and, and you gotta really be sharp and, and um to to come out of the gates quick and I think you know we've worked really hard on the little things with the, the uh, limiting offsides you know kind of unforced errors and I think that you know if that shows up Saturday which I hope it will and we can get back to winning turnover battles and winning big play battles I feel good about who we are and I think when we've done that we've been a really good football team.
0: As, assess the practice you've had leading up to the opener what were you happy about and what concerns did you see?
1: Uh, you know, depth on the offensive line is a big concern. I think our top six guys are pretty good guys and can play, and, you know, we might be up to seven. But we're starting to develop a couple guys that I think um, that can get in the rotation as we progress, which is important. you got to have some depth there. Um, I think that's a concern. I think our cornerback position has been a concern with just, you know um, – overall depth but we feel that we're progressing there and we're making a lot of progress and I think um, you know we had a grad transfer in uh, Jaron Williams who's been very good at practice we're excited about him Um, you know we've got to get back to being a pressure defense as far as TFLs and sacks I think last year we were you know we had a good defensive line but we were very very poor at minus plays, and I think that's something that we're working on real hard. So, you know, there are the areas of concern. I think, obviously, when you have, you know, your freshman quarterback, all top three quarterbacks right now are all freshmen. That's a concern, but um, that's part of the growth, and I think that um, those guys are going to be really good as the season progresses.
0: Jeff, under uh, under, uh, Cuffler is going to be your starter,
1: correct? Yeah, he'll go into the CMU game as a starter. He's, you know, he's earned it. I thought he played, you know, at the end of the day, when you're evaluating quarterbacks, it's hard to evaluate, evaluate them without game experience, and I think Jeff played three and a half games last year he handled the offense well he's tough um you know in all the games he took hits and got back up and made plays so I think you know he's a he's he's six months further along than he was I think that that's important and I think that um he's going to progress I think he's going to get better and better as he plays and uh you know hopefully he can go out and play a really really controlled and manage the game really well which is the first step for a quarterback
0: how much did playing the final four games of last season in, in place of the injured Vincent already help him? He ended up leading the team to the win against Stony Brook in the season finale.
1: I thought it was huge. You know, he went in at Maine and his first pass, you know, it's one of those stories. His first pass was for a touchdown and, and snow in snow and the cold. And he, he, you know, for a kid that was on the scout team a week or two before he acquitted himself really well. Um, he didn't have any reps or anything. Uh, you know, Delaware, we thought we should have won the game. Um, We lost that game real late. Jeff played tough in that game, and we were really encouraged. He played really well against New Hampshire. We didn't play real well around them um, and lost that game. And I think the Stony Brook game was kind of who we are when we do things the right way. And I think that Jeff understands what we need, and um, he, he did a good job in that game. So, you know, Stony Brook, Delaware, Main or all were top te- ten teams last year that he got to play against, so he's certainly not going to be intimidated against anybody when he gets out there.
0: What about the rest of the offense? Uh, we're, you know, running back, running uh, football, uh, receivers.
1: Uh, the receiver is a group we like. We think we've got a lot of depth there. Um, you know, we, we Dev Holmes obviously was really good for us last year. Dev and Jared Reeves and Jawan Green and Donovan McDonald played every game last year and were have really improved. Um, we actually have Tyler Odakovin and Ricky Gamble are two young guys that are in the mix, so we've got six to seven guys there we really like. You know, running back Carl Mofar, is, we think, is a really complete, talented running back. He was very good for us last year towards the end of the year. Um, Alex James is a transfer uh, from Coastal Carolina who's been good in practice. We're excited about him, so we feel good about our skill positions going into the game.
0: How point is for the offensive line to protect um, Jeff?
1: Yeah, it's huge, and it's, it's been a problem for us. And I think, you know, we do have four guys that have starts there, and, and those guys need to really step up and um, play well. I mean, there, there's, a, there's some experience there. Not a lot of depth right now, but there's good experience, and I think um, we're starting to get healthy there, and they, they need to play really well. They're going to be really challenged on Thursday night.
0: You talked a little bit about the defense earlier, uh, but you gave up 31 point, uh, almost 31 points a game last year. What do you have to do to cut back on that?
1: Well, it's obvious. I mean, last year we were we were um, we did not generate minus plays up front. Um, we had a blitz to try to generate some minus plays, and we weren't real good covering last year with all the injuries in the secondary. We we, we really were the perfect storm of who we don't want to be. But I think that's changed. I think we're we're a lot. We look a lot more and move a lot more like we did two years ago when we were one of the top teams in the conference. And you know, our defense has a chance to be pretty good. And I think they're going to be really tested. Thursday night, and we'll know a lot more about who we are after Thursday night. But I like our defense; I think they're athletic and fast, and um, I think we have the ability to rush the passer, which we couldn't do very well last year.
0: What do you know about your opponent, Central Michigan? Have you had a chance to look at some uh, video and film about them?
1: Yeah, we don't know much about them. You know, the the head coach is new, the coordinators are all new. Um, You know, so you know, McElwain was the head coach at Florida, so we you know we know a little bit about him from there. We just are kind of doing a general game plan right now. Um first games are are always a trap because you sometimes you get too caught up in one thing and a team can do change a lot over a spring and a summer camp. So we're going to you know we're we're not changing how we're preparing. We're, we'll be ready for whatever they throw against us and um you know we know they'll be well coached. You know Mack Wayne's been at play as coach at national championships with Alabama. He was a Southeast Conference coach of the year at Florida. He's he's a talented coach and we know that that uh, they're going to be pretty darn good when we get there.
0: What is the goal for this team this year? Is it a 500 mark, uh, winning record, improved play?
1: Yeah, I mean, all those things, but we'd like to make the playoffs for sure. You know, if you make the playoffs, you're in the hunt for the conference. I mean, it's pretty simple. You know, a couple years ago, we we felt we should have been in the playoffs. We, you know, we didn't make it. Um, We've had some issues the last two years, but we've been on track and we're working towards, you know, we'd like to go out and do all those things and make the playoffs. I think that's uh, a really realistic goal of what we're trying to do this year.
0: Uh, Coach Greg Gattuso, uh, thanks for coming on the Parting Shots podcast, and uh, good luck this season. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's Albany football head coach Greg Gattuso. Coming up, Hunter Moffitt talks about trophy case. Stay tuned.
2: Hi, this is Harborside Hell Wafer. I'm the manager of the River Sportsbook at Rivers Casino and Resort. Now, it's always a winning bet to listen to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott.
1: Parting Shots
0: Podcast
1: is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Download it today. Available for iOS and Android in your app store.
0: Welcome back to the Parting Shots Podcast, which is sponsored by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Download it today. Available for iOS and Android users in your app store. But what is Trophy Case? Well, to help you with that is the founder and CEO of Trophy Case and a Colony High School graduate. Please welcome Hunter Moffat to the show. Hunter, thanks for coming on and thank you for sponsoring the podcast.
3: Hey, Ken, thank you. It's a pleasure. I look forward to uh, having a great conversations today.
0: Well, before we get into uh, Trophy Case, let's talk about your athletic career. Uh, you were a fine pitcher at Colony High School. In your senior season, you went 8 and 1 with a 2.383 ERA as Colony won the Section 2 class AA title. And in that season, you struck out 63 hitters in 58 and two third innings, and also had 366 with 22 RBIs. You also played football and basketball. What are your fond memories of your high school career?
3: Yeah, it's, uh, no, I, I went Colony High. I was played football, baseball, basketball. Um, I actually, uh, you know, baseball, we had quite the run, ended up, uh, finishing second in the state my senior year. And, uh. No, it's, uh, it, it really led to uh, my vision of, you know, where we're
0: at today and uh, creating Trophy Case, which is uh, really a, a social media uh, platform for athletes. You know, so you went on to Albany, then the Schenectady County Community College, and then you're a graduate of Bridgeport University. What was being a college athlete like?
3: Yeah, so, uh, no, it was great. I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to earn a scholarship to play at University of Albany and then play at SEC and the University of Bridgeport. Um, you know, overall, it was, uh, you know, fulfilling my dreams as a, as a youth athlete and then in high school um, to play at the college level um, and playing baseball in college. You know, it was, uh, it was really a full year, uh, year round sport, um, you know, with training, lifting and just getting ready for the next season. Um, you know, it gave the ability to compete you know, all over the Northeast and even some travels down south uh, for spring ball. So um, it was great. I really focused on uh,
1: really just pitching when I was in college.
0: As I mentioned at the top of the uh, segment here, uh, Hunter, at uh, Trophy Cases, the app created for athletes uh, by athletes. Uh, what is the purpose of this app and what led you to create it?
3: Yes, that's a great question. So, um, you know, as I let's say back when I was in high school, uh, you know, really <clears throat> the only uh, you know mechanism for exposure was really based on team success and whatever uh, recruiting events that I could go to. Um, you know, on weekends or that were around me. So uh, given, you know, the challenges and, you know, the interest for me to play in, at, at a Division One school or play in other areas, uh, you know, within the country, uh, really it was really, uh, the vision of trophy cases really geared around exposure. So, um, you know, I took a look at, you know, what was out there for athletes from a um, exposure and also search standpoint. And, you know, you have, and everyone's probably familiar with Facebook, Um, You know, where you can see anything from pictures of their, um, you know, of their dogs, of their children, of cars, basically anything. Um, Then you have Instagram, uh, which is mostly pictures and videos. Um, Really not, you know, the general social media that really isn't built for what athletes need to be successful. Um, Then there are some recruiting apps that are out there. Some of them you pay for. Um, But really, um, based on our research, they don't really see the results, uh, you know, that they're looking for. So really, the, the vision of Trophy Case, you know, just started from my own experience. Uh, but we wanted to give the athletes the ability to build their own brand and really, uh, you know, for exposure and the search capabilities that they need. Uh, ultimately, connecting them to what we we call sports affiliates, which would be coaches, teams, schools,
0: and uh, brands that are affiliated
3: in the sports industry. How has on it? One platform.
0: How has it been received uh, in the uh, sports community? How helpful has this app been? I mean, are you getting uh, positive feedback from the p- people who are using this app? And uh, what, yeah, what they can put any kind of information in this app, right?
3: Yeah, so uh, it's uh, so in today's uh, you know day and age, technology is definitely advanced from about ten years ago, over ten years ago when I was in high school. Um, so I mean, the athletes and the kids that are on the platform, there the tools are very easy. Um, They're making their videos, they're putting highlight videos on there, they're putting other links from maybe Instagram or social media that they have, and you know, they're using it, they're posting, we have a little bit of a social feed to show their top highlights or events that are coming up, and uh, yeah, they're using it, it's very easy um, to use, and really what we want from the athletes and uh, who joins the app is their feedback, because we'll be having updates coming out on a regular basis. But we want to know how
0: and you know what they need, so we can enhance the user experience for them. I mean, this, it's me. The, the, the kids today are so socially media conscious. I mean, you and I back in our day, there was no such thing as social media. I mean, how I mean, how big and how important are the kids able to do this stuff and put stuff like this on their app on their, on their profile? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great point. And thinking back. Uh, So outside, uh,
3: actually in football, I could, uh, in high school, I kicked a 50-yard field goal and that was one of my strengths, field goal kicking. But yeah, I had no, my only option was to create a video, a VHS tape and, you know, send it out to 25 schools and maybe I'll get noticed. Um, So the good thing is, is we are uh, working on partnerships with uh, colleges and, uh, you know, from all over the country and other organizations to help really, um. Get that exposure out there for the athletes.
0: Do you know how many downloads? Want to make it easy. There's actually right in the left side of the profile.
3: You can share your whole profile, which includes everything you've put in it, and one easy uh, link that you can send out to everyone. And we have some other capabilities we can help uh, to share their um, information if it's of interest as well.
0: Do you know how many downloads you've had so far from from uh, people?
3: Yeah, so right now we're approaching the 500 mark, um, and that's really with uh, um, just getting it out there through friends and family, word of mouth, and uh, just on a local presence here.
0: Well, Hunter, I, I appreciate you coming on the podcast to talk about Trophy Gaze. It sounds like a great idea, and it sounds like it's going to uh, catch fire. And again, a very big thank you from me for sponsoring the Parting Shots podcast. Yes, not a problem
3: at all. Thank you, and uh, no, we appreciate the downloads and feedback.
0: Thank you again. Well, thank you. That's, that's Hunter Moffitt. Up next, Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam looks back at last Saturday's Travers Stakes and looks ahead to the final week of the Saratoga horse racing season. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hey, Saratoga horse racing fans. Want a chance to win a $50 gift certificate to a Capital Region dining establishment? Then play the Daily Gazette Saratoga Pick 7. Pick your horses to score the most points in the first seven races at Saratoga Race Course. The winner receives a $50 gift certificate to an area dining establishment. To play, go to pick7.dailygazette.com and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race. To see the list of dining establishments participating, pick up a copy of the Daily Gazette.
4: Hi, this is Union Hockey alum Daniel Champini. You're listening to Parting Shots, the Daily Gazette sports podcast with Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott.
0: the Parting Shots podcast. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Week 7 of the Saratoga horse racing season is in the books, and we saw an exciting Traverse Stakes. And if you read Mike McAdams' column in last Saturday's Daily Gazette and online at dailygazette.com, you saw that he picked Code of Honor to win the race, and he did. Let's bring in the all-knowing, all-seeing Mike in. Mike, congratulations on your prediction coming out for you.
2: Hey, you know, Ken, blind squirrel, acorn, et cetera, it happens every once in a while. So, um, sort of
1: like short yeah, run. but,
2: I uh, you know, pick, picking Code of Honor wasn't really that much of a stretch because he's a really good horse. He's been running, running very well this year. And, uh, it, was, it seemed like sort of a natural extension of my column about easy goer who won the Travers back in 1989, um, So I kind of like, I I weaved it into that, but also it it was based on the fact that uh, the horse was very came into the race very well, and um, I can't say that it was a life changing uh, wager that I made on him, so I went back to work on Sunday. (laughs) uh, But I I did cash in well enough to buy a couple friends a a beer at the uh, Henry Street Tap Room downtown Saturday night. So not a life changing hit, but one anyway
0: so well you talk about blind squirrels uh finding nuts i mean it's a sort of like sean rodriguez hitting a game-winning home run for the phillies against your pirates on monday night
2: <laughs> um what sport are you talking about because i'm really that's not really in my uh, sphere uh, these days and uh yeah i kind of caught wind of that but uh Chose to ignore it, and uh, we'll move on to something else.
0: Well, let's talk about the uh, Travers and the race itself. Just how good was Code of Honor on Saturday?
2: Um, the way the race played out, uh, a couple things. Um, Chuck McGee, was very confident in this horse. Um, he loved him going into the Dwyer at Belmont Park in July, and hoped that motorcycle wasn't too loud. But um. Uh, he, he said he actually was more confident going into the Travers based on the way he was training, um, and he didn't get a lot of sleep Friday night, just out of not of, out of anxiety, but out of excitement, just to see how good this horse would run. And he totally lived up to everything that Chuck Magee, the trainer, was expecting. Um, Meanwhile, uh, the, the, the interesting development with Tacitus has been running very well in, in a lot of the big races this year, including the Kentucky Derby and the Belmont, added a shortcut blinker um, just as one little, you know, last-second equipment. Not last-second, I mean, they, they had them training in these shortcut blinkers for a few weeks um, as a little bit of a tweak to try to, you know, just get over the hump and get this horse to win one of these big ones uh, for once. And, uh, you know, he got in a duel with Mucho Guso pretty much all the way around the track. And, the, the, you know, the two things that happened were Code of Honor's a really good horse who came into the race training very well, took advantage of the speed duel in front of him, and ran one of the fastest times since 1992, by the way. And Tacitus, though, showed incredible guts to hang in there for second. And Mucho Guso, for that matter, also hung in there for third. So... I mean, no excuses and no shame in in finishing second in this race where Code of Honor, a very good horse, ran well. And, uh, you know, so I I know we we thought we we came in calling Tacitus the hard luck horse because he had a wide trip and traffic trouble in the Belmont and probably was the best horse in that race. And then also had a big stumble in the start at the Jim Dandy Um, that may have cost him when he finished three quarters of a length behind Tax. But. Man, he ran great uh, under the circumstances. And Bill Mott said afterwards, we have no regrets with the blinkers or any." You know, he, he, he ran great, and uh, but he got beat by a better horse on that day. Uh, mile and a quarter certainly suits code of honor. It set up with, you know, Tacitus and Mucho doing dueling in front of him, and maybe they were a little tired in the stretch, which allowed it. But he was clearly the best, and he won by three lengths. So it, was, it really was kind of a fascinating race. Played out the way you thought it might on paper, um, but was still very exciting, and was, was a very good win for Code of Honor and Trainer Shug McGagee and not to mention jockey uh, John Velazquez.
0: I mean, your Travers follow-up on Monday. You said Code of Honor was still frisky on Sunday. It sounded like he was ready for another race uh, on Sunday. Well, I tried to pet him
2: on the nose, and he showed his teeth, and I said, I, and I backed off and figured, you know, I value all of my fingers on this hand, so. Um, yeah, his groom, Jorge Molina, said he had a lot of energy, and he certainly showed that um, in the stall. But Chuck McGee, he predicted that, yeah, in a day or two or three, he's going to come down and he's going to feel the effects of that mile-and-a-quarter Travers and the hard effort that he put in, at which point they'll, you know, figure, you know, they'll, they'll walk him and they'll jog him when they see the time to spit. And then um, in the meantime, as far as the next race, they're looking at the Jockey Club Gold Cup on September 28th at Belmont Park. But it, the, the funny thing was, uh, Shug said, uh, you know, he, he, he mentioned races like the Discovery in November at Aqueduct and the Scar Mile at Aqueduct, which is actually a week later than that. And never, actually, we we had to ask him about the Breeders' Cup Classic for him to mention that. And he said, well, you know, yeah, we'd like to go there, but if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. So I'm not sure we're going to see him in the Breeders' Cup Classic, especially because it's an East Coast horse having to ship out to the West Coast. But it'll be interesting to see. For the time being, he's, he's going to point toward the uh, Jockey Club Gold Cup on September 28th. He's going to stay in Saratoga for another week. They'll, they'll ship him down to uh, New York, which is his home base, um, next weekend. Um but uh, whether he shows up in the British Cup Classic or not, that, that's kind of down the road a little bit.
0: <clears throat> as far as the uh, Traverse Stakes undercard races on Saturday, what race or races impressed you the most?
2: Uh, that's a no-brainer. The personal engine duel between Midnight Sioux and Elate was, you know, when Kofi and uh, Serengeti Empress dueled down the stretch in the test uh, several weeks ago, you watched that race and you were like, Boy, that's going to be hard to top. Well, a late Midnight Pesu actually pulled that out. And Midnight Pesu got a nose, a nostril in front of a late excruciatingly just after the, these are the two best older fillies on the dirt in the whole country. And they were going hammer and tongs all the way down the stretch. And we're actually, you know, a lot of these head bob finishes, they're like, they're half a stride off of each other where one has a big head in front, then the other one has a big head in front, and then it kind of goes back and forth like that. This was not like that. They were running in sync, and their little sliver of nose margin was like going back and forth right before the wire, and it's just a matter of when the wire showed up that Midnight midnight Sioux actually had her nose a little in front of a late. That's going to be impossible. One of the greatest races I've seen at Saratoga in a long time Two amazing, um, uh, tremendously talented uh, Phillies duking it out down the stretch. And uh, it was just great to see and Midnight Pissue really kind of established herself as the best. Um, yeah, I actually voted for her number one in the NTRA poll this week. Um, and late just did not move in my poll. She's still at number six based on losing that race. So it was amazing. Um, uh, the rest of the undercard. Uh, Steve Asmussen, who trains Midnight to Sioux, had a really good day because Matoli rebounded from his loss in the A.G. Vanderbilt and, and uh, won the Grade one four-go. Uh, Chad Brown won five races on the card, including the Sword Dancer with Annals of Time and the Balsa Spa with significant form, which is not unusual. Um, and then the other cool thing, I'll, one last thing I'll leave on the undercard, was Mind Control winning the uh, Alan Jerkins, which is cool to see because he won the Hopeful last year, and uh, came back and won on the same track for connections are very appreciative. Uh, trainer Greg Sacco won his first Grade one of his whole career in 30 years of training last year when uh, Mind Control won and came back the, to the site of that uh, great effort and won again in the Allen Jerkin. So uh, that, that that's basically sums up my undercard uh, observation.
0: Well, we are in the final week of the uh, meet, Mike, and uh, it's hard to believe me. It. It's just flown by so fast. What can we look forward to in this final week? <laughs>
2: Yeah, and it was eight days longer this year, and it still seemed to go by as fast as it it usually does. We go through these weird rhythms every year where you're like, it gets a little draggy in the middle, and then suddenly the Travers shows up, and you realize, hey, it's almost over. Where did the time go? Um, Going into the final weekend, the big one, obviously, is the great one, Woodward, uh, won by Yoshida last year for Bill Mott. And speaking of Bill Mott, as he would mentioned, so he lost. he came in second place in the Travers with Tacitus. Came in second place by, you know, the distance between two, um, you know, two prongs on an electrical cord in the uh, personal ensign with Elate. He also finished second in the Whitney back earlier in the meet with Yoshida and was second with Tacitus um, and the Jim Dandy as well. So he comes back with Yoshida trying to win the Woodward again. Um, another interesting thing he said was that a Elate losing to Midnight to Sue in the personal lines and might actually go and run against males in the Breeders' Cup Classic. And the reason being, she's very good at a mile and a quarter. And the the, the female race in the, in the Breeders' Cup weekend is the Distaff, which is a mile and an eight. So it'd be kind of cool to see a late run against males. Probably says something about maybe the weakness of the male, dirt, older, you know, division this year too, that there's no world beaters other than McKinsey in there. Um, and then... Uh, Right now, I mean, they'll they'll draw the Woodward uh, on Thursday, or I'm sorry, on on Wednesday. By the time this this uh, podcast is posted, but right now the Woodward field is looking like Yoshida, Vino Rosso, Preservationist, who was fourth in the Whitney, Mister Buff, Tom State Trot, Mongolian Groom, Mongolian Groom, and uh, forewarned, uh, we won't see Hoffberg and Catholic Boy, unfortunately. Catholic Boy run the. Uh, the Travers last year, but he's not going to make it for the Woodward. Um, so that's kind of like w- uh, what we're looking for. And then you have the final two two-year-old stakes, which is the Spinaway and the Hopeful, and it'd be cool to see Greenlight go, who won the Saratoga Special, come back in the uh, Hopeful. Um, one last thing, as far as the trainer and jockey races. Um, the trainer race was over before the meet even started, and Chad Brown has 34 winners, and Todd Fletcher has 15. So that, that baby's all over with. Uh, mathematically, Jose Ortiz leads his brother, Irad, 49-43, to 43 with um, going into uh, Wednesday's card. And that's going to be a hard deficit to make up because they're both going to be riding a ton of good horses every day. Um, but it's mathematically still, in the, you know, available for Irad to catch his brother but uh, that's pretty much going into the final
0: weekend Do do, do the trainers and the jockeys mean, do they really like to win those uh, awards be the top the top uh, number, number one? That's a good question
2: and it, it's a good resume filler, it's great to see that in the media guide um, in the case of the brothers they definitely do Jose and Irad Ortiz I mean they um, I read one at last year Jose won it the two years prior to that and I read one at the year before that um, so it's pretty fierce competition I mean the trophy is named after Angel Cordero Jr. who is the king of the, the king of Saratoga um, and for Chad he's from Mechanical New York so obviously it's his hometown track and he's been coming here since he was a kid um, and always dreamed of, of winning this thing so yeah they get into it I mean they're there's more important things like, for instance, the Eclipse Award at the end of the year, but certainly this is like one of the most prestigious meet titles to win in the country. In fact, it's probably the only one that actually has trophies named after, you know, the respective jockey and trainer um, uh, winners, which they Naira started a couple of years ago at Saratoga. Um, so for this meet, yes, it, most meets is just like kind of another thing and, but this meet, I, I think they definitely get into it, and they know that people are paying more attention to the standings for this one than they are for you know most of the other meets at the other track. So I would say yes.
0: Well, Mike, as always, we look forward to your coverage, especially this final week coming up. And uh, next week, uh, we'll get your thoughts on the meet and the impact of the expansion of the meet. Yeah,
2: we will go over all of that stuff, already thinking about it. And, uh you know, we'll have a couple thoughts
0: on that stuff. Okay. Well, you can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike underscore McAdam. Mike, uh, thanks for your insight. We'll talk next week. Thanks for having me. Hit some home runs, everybody. Let's go Phillies. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> That's Mike McAdam. Up next, ESPN Steve Levy's on to discuss the anniversary of the Cable Channel and Sports Center. Stay tuned. Hey, pro football fans. It's time again to match wits with other pro football fans and win a prize by playing the Daily Gazette's You Pick'em football game sponsored by River Sportsbook. To play, go to dailygazette.com slash football and make your picks before the first game kicks off each week. If you have the most weekly points, you earn a $100 gift card to ShopRite. Play every week and you can win the grand prize of $1,000. Play the Daily Gazette's You Pick'em football game sponsored by River Sportsbook dailygazette.com slash football. Hi, I'm Malachi Jones, wide receiver for the Arena Football League's Albany Empire. You're
1: listening to Parting Shots, the Daily Gazette sports podcast with Ken Shot.
0: Back on the Parting Shots podcast, I'm Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Shot. I hope you're enjoying the show. Well, the music you're hearing right now should be familiar. It's the classic theme to ESPN Sports Center. On September seventh, ESPN Sports Center celebrates its 40th anniversary. My guest just celebrated his 25th year at ESPN last July. Besides anchoring Sports Center, he calls college football games. And when the ESPN had the NHL, he, if he was in your arena for a Stanley Cup playoff game, you knew the game was going to last multiple overtimes. Please welcome Steve Levy to the podcast. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey Ken, thanks for having me on. Yeah, people blamed me. the 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 newspaper writers.
4: They saw me and they saw their deadlines blown immediately, and that was a fun reputation. But I didn't think I was real popular in the building. You know,
0: you're the original Mister Oversight. I covered. Two five overtime games with Union and a four overtime game in the NCAA Plus, so I got that reputation after you. Yeah, yeah. So, well, before we start talking about the anniversary uh, for ESPN, I do want to ask you about that Flyers Penguins five overtime game from two thousand. The Flyers won that night two to one to even the series, and the game ended at two thirty nine in the morning. I'm a Philly native and a big Flyers fan, so when Keith Primo scored, I had to stifle my screams because my wife, who was sleeping and pregnant at the time, uh, What was that night like in Pittsburgh at the the late, great Civic Arena?
4: So, um, oddly, I had some experience with that. That was not the uh, you know, not the first super long game I had done. I had done a Washington-Pittsburgh game at the old Capitol Center that was 45 seconds away from a fifth overtime. So I remember uh, not being prepared for that one, but the fact I went through that really helped me that night in Pittsburgh. And um, it's just, you know, you, you run out of words, and it becomes an, an economy of words. And there was, you know, no description at all. It was, you know, it was uh, Lemieux, Forsberg, Smith. You know, just, I was just doing last names. I really, I was like a car out of gas. And um, I just remember the stage manager that night, you know, we kept looking around, and you know, refill the water or something, trying to keep the, the throat okay. And, you know, it was a school night and, uh, the guy's mom came and picked him up early, you know, so he couldn't stick around. So and, and I don't blame him. So um, I remember the shots in the stands and people just you know asleep in the in the seats. And I was very happy for uh, for Keith Primo that night. Yeah. I think I said in the in the actual live call the much maligned Keith Primo or something. And you know he'd been under heavy criticism. Uh, I thought he was a very good player. And... Having a tough playoff run at that point, but I always liked him personally, and I was very pleased to see him uh, him score that goal. And, and then that night in the panger, and I went to Pramandi Brothers uh, for a late night uh, traditional Pittsburgh snack. So it was all in all uh, fond memories, and, and, you know, just sort of followed me around. Ken, it's odd. I, so I, to this day, still have broadcast the three longest. NHL playoff games ever televised, which is, you know, is mind blowing to me. It's not a skill. It's obviously it's it's a fluke. It's it's luck. It's happening to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah,
0: I know that feeling. Trust me. So let's uh, yeah. let's talk about the 40th anniversary of ESPN Sports Center. How much did having an all sports network change the game for sports fans?
4: Well, it certainly it certainly changed everything. And, and I, you know, my upbringing was in New York. And uh, we obviously had all the all the different sports teams, and then you know, I say New York. I mean, downstate. And WFAN started. I was pretty close to the beginning of that too. And I remember my dad saying to me, "What are you guys going to talk about for 24 straight hours?" And of course, you know, <laughs> there's never a shortage of topics. Uh, and ESPN has, has obviously banked on that, and um, and banked on it in a way where we've expanded networks. You know, it was just one network, and now it's I don't know. With the start of the ECC network, now you know we're, we're, we just keep expanding. So. There's plenty of real estate. Uh, it, it doesn't doesn't really feel like you can oversaturate the market. It just seems there is a thirst and a hunger uh, for sports information, sports talk on a variety of platforms. And uh, look, it's been a it's been a great company for me. I, you know, I was not there for the, from the beginning. I'm very pleased to say, uh, but I have been there. I'm in my 20s, started my 27th year now. And quite frankly, I can't imagine uh, having been anyplace else or really being anyplace else in the future. It's been that great for
0: me. I mean, you anchored your first sports center as a 2 a.m. sports center August 7th, 1993. How nervous were you? I was
4: really nervous. I remember, you know, at the time there was. Training ground, really, right? There was no ESPN Two, there was no ESPN News, there was no ESPN Radio. The obviously wasn't dot com. Like there was nowhere for you to sort of be hidden and eased in. And so I think my first day was, you know, was August first. And so six days later, I was doing Sports Center. And uh, you know, nowadays we get a kid in here, and you know, they get two months to observe, you know, and that does not exist the not exist back in the day, and, um, I was on with Carl Ravage, my very first, um, first show, and I, I looked at the wrong camera for the first 30 seconds, legendary producer Mike McQuaid, who's in my ear, he's like, uh, camera two, 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 and he's like, turn left, turn left, left, look left, you know, like a million times, and I was so locked into the teleprompter, I refused to move, and so so I was I was doing the talking, and Ravitch was actually on camera, making it very uncomfortable for him the entire time, but Uh, There was no Los Angeles, obviously, so we did the show back then, and the other amazing thing about that show that people forget, so it was a half hour at 2 a.m. Eastern Time, and Ken, we got every single score in of every single game, and that's remarkable considering now we'll do Sunday nights, 90-minute show, and we only get half the games in. The show is is entirely different from as I remember it back in the day, but uh, also fond, fond memories.
0: Is it true you initially turned down the job?
4: So I did. I, look, I, I was the ultimate New York City kind of kid. I, you know, I wanted to be in the big city. I was living in Manhattan. I was doing, uh, you know, half the time on WFAN radio, and the other half, I was at Madison Square Garden Network and, and Channel Two, CBS. And I was really young, and I was living in a high rise, and my parents could watch me, and my, all my buddies, and my parents' friends. There's, you know, I did missed in the morning before Mike Breen. And so, I mean, these were, these were big things. And, you know, I only wanted New York. I never looked at the national picture. I was extremely local. And um, so we turned it down the first time. And uh, they came back a second time to my agent. And they, they sweetened the offer. And I still didn't want to go. Uh, I went to my boss at Channel 2. I was just doing Fridays and Saturday nights at that point. I was like, listen, don't make me go. I don't want to go. And uh, he's like, Steve, you know, you're too young. I was 27 or 28 at the time, maybe. Uh, You know, you can't be the the lead sportscaster in the number one market in the country. And uh, I, I, I got it. And by the way, I would have never left, okay? And Channel 2 WCBS TV has gone through, I bet, no less than 30 sports anchors in that time, in that period of time. But I left. I made the move to Bristol. I do remember that first night I went to a movie by myself. I was the only person in the theater. Again, this is a true story. The guy knocks on the glass from the projector and says, Are you ready? (laughs) And, you know, I never thought they'd show, I figured they'd refund my money and, you know, send me on my way. And they showed the movie just for me. And I really wondered, you know, what, what did I do? What mistake did I make? And, uh, can't, I I can't tell you enough. The place has been a blessing. It's, uh, they treat me so well. They treated my family so well They've taken such great care of me. Uh, I've done really just about everything I've wanted to do. Now I'm getting my first crack to do Monday night football. And, um, I'm just so I'm so thrilled, honored, and, and truly lucky that I, I made that move. And uh, you know, I've been so happy at ESPN. I've never regretted a day in my life uh, coming coming to go to work at ESPN in Bristol, or, or whether I've been on the road.
0: I Man, there have been many anchors, I mean you there, Chris Berman, Dan Patrick, Keith Olbermann, Linda Cohn, uh, you know, Scott Van Pelt. What? Well, how? Why do people identify with you guys?
4: You know, I think we all bring our own qualities uh, to the table. Like, you know, I've never—I'm not the funny guy. I—I've never considered myself funny. I'll try to take the occasional shot. You know, the pun. Uh, you know, try to put a sentence together. I, I try to do that. I try to get the score right too. That's kind of like my my go-to. You know, just be accurate, and get it right. Um, I'm a good audience, and I like to laugh at the other guys. The funny guys who are sitting next to me, so. But I've never been the one with the catchphrases, you know. I've got a couple that are terrible. Nobody's putting my stuff on a hat or a T-shirt. And, um, but everybody sort of brings their own ingredients, and it's the mix. I think it's it's very important the mix between the two anchors. And I've been I've been lucky to work with uh, quite a few talented anchors on a regular basis, and um, it really makes a difference. You can you can tell, you can hear the comfort level of the sportscast uh, when there is a camaraderie. Act, just like, just like the camaraderie and the chemistry in the in the booth with uh, like like Brian Greasy, my college football partner. Now, I, I think it really comes across that way, and, and I really think you can't. That's not not something you can fake. I think the audience can tell. So, but again, everybody's very different. It's uh, it's been a lot of individuals uh, that collectively is, have put us in a. In a
0: do you think ESPN Sports Center has changed over the years, particularly in the age of social media and people able to watch highlights right away on their smartphones? Well, I mean that's a, that's a great point, and that's
4: something you know people are constantly asking about. The show is entirely different. We used to write much more. Uh, the show used to be much more scripted. The show used to be much more serious. And I think some of that is the fact that you can see, you know, sports or the highlights really anytime you want on your phone or anywhere. You know, the 11 o'clock show with Dan and Keith really used to be appointment viewing. You had to be there, uh, especially on a Sunday night, the big show, that whole thing. Uh, that was not overblown. That That was a real thing. That was true. But we had to adjust. The show's gotten looser. It's gotten younger. It's gotten hipper. Uh, you know, we have a rundown. We barely use it. If I write one lead in a night now, that's a lot. Uh, it's much more up the, off the cuff, no prompter, whatever pops in your head. And I think the show, because of that, has become a lot more fun to do. You know, there are other shows that are still very serious. You know, uh, e 60 those kinds of things, uh, some of the news and information shows. And obviously when there's, you know, a, a big story or a scandal or, a, or a passing away of a significant sports figure, well, obviously SportsCenter does that better than anybody else. Um, but on a nightly basis, we're really just trying to have a good time. And and I think all of these broadcasts, you want to know where they've really evolved? I, I think people want less X and O. And on the game broadcast, too, I, I think we're actually moving farther away from the X and O and teaching about the specifics of the game to having a good time, to enjoying this experience. And uh, I think I think you've seen that really across the landscape. We've we've moved that way and um, and that's directly impacted Sports Center. Sports Center's a good time. I mean when that, that shows an hour, I can't believe how fast it goes. I can't believe it's over. You know, I giggle my way through most of it and uh, and we're having a good time and then we've always felt like, you know, if we're having a good time in Bristol then all, the, the chances are
0: the audience is enjoying it too. Final well, question for you Steve and it involves hockey. How much fun would it be for you if ESPN had a chance to televise the NHL again? And will the Levy Lounge become a traveling roadshow for you and Barry Melrose?
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure I'd be of that. It's uh... It's hard to get, you know, we go to the Stanley Cup final every year, it's hard to get a sign, uh, even an Eon Sports Center sign there. So the odds on traveling a Levy Lounge are highly unlikely, uh, unless you want to shoot it from Melrose's hotel room, and I don't think anybody <laughs> wants to see that. Um, listen, we were crushed when we lost hockey back in, I don't know, oh four, oh five. Yeah, right it's around the It's been a right long down. time now. And, um, you know, I remember that day when we lost, lost the rights, um, it was like somebody's dog had died. People were really in tears, and you know, not just the the front-facing talent, like the -the behind-the-scenes research people, and the camera people, the audio people. Uh, There were so many lovers of hockey in the building here. Maybe because we're in the Northeast in New England and everything, but uh, people really loved and cared so much for the sport. I think that came across. And I will say to, you know, my old boss, John Skipper, and he didn't owe me uh, any explanation, but, you know, every time the rights came up, I can tell you that ESPN put up a good fight, and the other guys always had right of last refusal, so we would put in a great offer, and they'd go above us, and we'd counter, and and they'd go above us, so the only one winning really was the NHL, and I I certainly understand that, but uh, everyone I've talked to, our new Jimmy Pataro, uh, I think he's very interested. I hear lots of whispers that were in the mix. I can tell you the players, the Players Association they definitely want to be on ESPN. They want to be here so they can watch their games, especially on the road in the hotels where there's always ESPN and ESPN Two. And you know that's not always the case with the other cable channels. So, uh, look, NBC's done a terrific job. Uh, there's just so many ways to do these games, right? Everybody does the games great, but what ESPN does better than anyone, I think, is the pre and the post and the promotion. And you know, you go back to those old black and white. Um, a Sports Center commercial with the NHL players. That was sort of the heyday. And uh, I think I think the reason we got the World Cup the last time around is because that was driven by the NHL Players Association. And again, the PA definitely wants him back on ESPN. And, and the league just wants more money. And I get it. And I will be shocked, slash. Devastated if when the new contract opens up, a uh, new contract time comes apart, comes about, that there won't be some kind of split. I don't believe, well, it's possible we get the whole thing, but just like how the NBA splits with us and TNT, the NFL obviously has multiple partners, Major League Baseball, multiple national partners, hard to believe the NHL won't go that same route, so uh, I am optimistic, and uh, I'm optimistic the Melrose won't fall asleep in the Leading Lounge.
0: <laughs> well, Steve, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. But well, have fun with the college football season and the Monday night game we talked about. And uh, thanks for coming on. Hopefully we'll talk again soon. All right, Ken. Thanks for having me. And uh, all the best going forward, pal. All right, thanks. That's Steve Levy. More on the Funny Shots podcast coming up. Don't go anywhere.
3: Hi, this is Brian Unger, analyst for Union College Men's Hockey. You're listening to Parting Shots, the Daily Gazette sports podcast with Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott.
0: Back to wrap things up on the podcast with some newsy notes. I'll be posting my weekly TV listings for college football and the NFL. Week one of the college football season is up now at dailygazettecom slash sports slash parting shots. Also, I'll be battling once again with Daily Gazette News columnist Sarah Foss with our weekly NFL picks. Sarah has won the last two times we competed in 2016 and 2018. Next week, the podcast returns to us Thursday posting. We'll be getting ready for the high school football season with Daily Gazette sports writer and the Hall of Famer, Jim Schultz, We'll also talk some NFL, too, on the podcast. And that wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank my guest. UAlbany football coach, Greg Cattuso, Trophy Case founder and CEO, Hunter Moffitt, Daily Gazette sports writer, Mike McAdam, and ESPN, Steve Levy. The Party Shots podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Download it today. Available for iOS and Android users in your app store. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Pawning Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Ponting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Shot. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Good day, good sports.